poem in college called Crossing the Swamp by a woman named Mary Oliver. I think her name was anyway. I remember opening with the lines, Here is the endless, thick, wet cosmos, the center of everything. At the time when I first read it, I spent so much time trying to interpret the poem metaphorically that I practically ignored the literal aspect of it. I never actually took the time to just sit back and imagine myself in the literal shoes of the narrator. I never actually pondered what it would be like to wade endlessly through a literal swamp, surrounded and swallowed by an endless bog. For here it is, the forever, an infinite mess of phantasmagoric cypress trees beckoning me with their drooping bug-infested Spanish moss, long, snake-like, yet oddly snakeless vines grabbing at me to simultaneously pull me out of the knee-deep water and push me under, where my waterlogged fuzzy carcass could be absorbed by the trees, oversaturated with hot, sticky, amber sap, pulled down further by the porous mud that I must walk through, pulled down into a mire. And even though I've conquered one mire, I don't think I could conquer this one. Because sometimes, it's the literal things that defeat you. I hear a twig snap and turn to see a fleeting figure flickering through the trees. At first, I'm frightened. But then I tell myself that it was probably just a deer. Even though I haven't seen a single animal yet. Besides the gnats and the mosquitoes. So instead of allowing myself to be frightened by it, I decide to carry onward. To focus on getting out of this swamp to treat these mysterious cuts in my abdomen whose origins escape me. In fact, I don't even remember how I got here in the first place. But one thing at a time. Right now I need to focus on getting out alive before I bleed to death. I trudge on for a few more moments before I hear another twig snap behind me. And as I turn towards it, I see another elusive figure, and then another twig snaps, then another and yet another. Soon I'm surrounded by snapping twigs and fleeting figures racing around me in a dizzying swirl, and no matter how quickly I swivel my head, I cannot catch a decent glimpse of the figures. They get faster and faster, creating a blurred whirlwind around me, and the snapping of the twigs is rising into a cacophonous uproar accompanied by wailing sobs from the figures, getting louder and louder and louder until silence. Just complete and utter silence. Everything is still. No water stirs, no breeze blows, and no twig snaps. To my left, a cluster of reeds rustles, thrusting up an explosion of gnats, and I see the shape of a person walking towards me through the reeds. I hold my breath, scared that it might be someone dangerous, someone who specifically did something to hurt me recently. Though I don't know who... But the person who comes stumbling out of the reeds isn't a stranger who escapes my memory. No, it's a person who I remember very well and love very much. 
but who is changed horribly beyond belief. The person who stands before me is my nephew, the nephew who I raised as if he were my own, the nephew that I loved with all my heart, the nephew who broke my heart, the nephew who died more than two years ago. Auntie, he gurgles hoarsely through a mouthful of thick amber tree sap that dribbles down his chin, and we stare in shock at each other, him taking in my muddied and bloodied appearance, and I taking in his dusty brown, shriveled skin, his lipless mouth, his soiled suit, his skeletal frame, and his empty eye sockets that ooze putrescent black liquid. Is that really you? He asks, voice taut and cracked from death. I slowly nod my head in combined mute horror and refreshed heartbreak. His shriveled head shakes sadly as if his gnarled bony fingers unbutton the now dirty suit that he was buried in. The white button-down shirt is stained black and red, and as he solemnly pulls back his shirt, black-red fluid squirts out of the bullet hole in his abdomen. Fluid that is a horrifying mixture of liquid rot and fresh blood trickling down his legs and tainting the water around him. Why do you show me this? I whispered tearfully, easily heard over the strangely silent swamp. I know what happened to you. I know what that man did to you. Don't blame him, he moans, spitting tree sap out of his mouth as he talks. Don't blame him. But he shot you and left you to die, I say, slowly shaking my head in disbelief. Not so much at his words, but as his presence itself. At this, his head snaps suddenly off his neck, and his hands catch it before it could fall into the sticky water. Don't blame him, he repeats, sap oozing out of the opening where his neck used to be attached. Please, don't blame him. God knows I don't. How can I not blame him? I sob. He took away the closest thing I had to his son, and because of him, I had to watch powerless as you slipped further and further away. No, he answers. I was there the whole time. The only thing slipping away was my humanity. No, don't say that. You weren't there. You were unresponsive, in a coma because he hit your head in the concrete. I was there, Auntie. I heard your sobs. I heard your stories. And I felt your tears on my arm. But I couldn't do anything except for lay there in silence. No, I wail, splashing to my knees. No, don't say such things. Don't torment me this way. You're not even real. You're not here. You're dead. You're just a hallucination. If you insist. My decomposed nephew sighs sadly, crumbling in on himself and collapsing into the stagnant water. No, I scream, running over to where he stood, ignoring the pain in my abdomen. No, I didn't mean it. 
I didn't mean I'd take it back. Just please don't leave me again. Don't leave. I miss you. I need you. Please come back. I'm begging you. I crouch over to feel for his remains in the water, but collapse from pain and dizziness. I painfully drag myself out and crawl towards the sap-soaked tree and curl up against its sticky trunk, bawling like a little girl. Like a little girl who just lost everything all over again. Eventually, after I stop crying, I reapply the mud over my wounds to slow down the bleeding, though I know that it guarantees infection. I can feel the hot sap clinging to my shirt as the mud slowly pulls me down to the swamp, down into my past. Back to when I first heard that my sister and her husband had been shot in a break-in. Back to when I took in my orphaned six-year-old nephew after nobody else would take him in. The mug dragged me through all the years that I spent raising him. Years that, until a few minutes ago, I'd managed to put behind me. And then I was back at my apartment on that cold, lonely January night more than two and a half years ago. When I got the call from the hospital saying that they had my nephew, that he'd been shot and he hit his head on the concrete, and that he was unresponsive. After I arrived at the emergency room, the doctor explained further that my nephew didn't have any identification on him, and that all the information they had so far on him was from a nearby store clerk who occasionally talked to him. They suspected that he was in an unresponsive coma, but it wasn't until after they ran some tests that they were able to confirm this. At first, I visited him as often as I could. I talked to him, I fed him, I held him. But even though he made no signs of improvement, I always got the distinct feeling that somehow, some way, my nephew was still in there, listening to me and crying silently for help. But there was nothing I could do except try to accept the fact that my nephew was gone. And so, after about two months, I stopped visiting as often, in the hopes of being able to accept my nephew's situation. Then, in June of that year, I finally gave the doctors permission to pull the plug, as some people say. After that, I fell into a deeper depression that I'd already been in. At the time, I thought that I'd made the right decision. But after he died, I became smothered by a stifling blanket of heart-wrenching guilt and self-hatred. All I could think about at night and day was whether or not I did the right thing for my nephew. And then, a little over a year later, I finally made the decision to not beat myself up anymore, to try to forgive myself and move on from the experience. Seven months later, I left Nashville and moved here, to New Orleans, in the hopes of finally leaving that part of my life behind. And I did, for the most part. I got a job and an apartment. I started therapy. Eventually, I managed to actually get myself to a point to where I felt happy again. Except now, six months after the move to New Orleans... This godforsaken swamp is trying to drag me back down again. And so far, it seems to have been working. I get up, 
weak-limbed and lightheaded, and start trudging my way through the dirty bog water and giant clouds of gnats and mosquitoes once more, being careful to use my abdominal muscles as little as possible. To distract myself from the pain and dizziness, I turned my focus instead to trying to remember how it was that I got here in the first place, but the truth escapes me. And so, instead, I try to read what the weather will hold. I look up and I'm surprised to see that the sky has gone quickly from bright sweltering summer blue to a foreboding dark gray. I slip on some mud at the bottom of the stagnant water and fall into the stump of a broken tree branch, which jabs me smartly in the shoulder. As I pull up my torn and soggy sleeve to see if it broke the skin, I feel the first fat droplets of rain smack against my head, soon followed by a heavy downpour all around me. And over the sound of the screaming water and pattering leaves, I realize something. I realize that I can remember how I got here. There was a bad thunderstorm last night, with rain so heavy that it was hard to see so loud that it shook the buildings. I had been in an Egyptian-themed tea shop called The Nile's Rest when the thunder had been the worst. After it moved away a bit, I left, hurrying home, desperate to get out of the torrential downfall. It was then that I was snatched violently into an alleyway. I tried to fight back and I tried to scream for help, but they were too strong and my screams were muffled by the rain and a strange-smelling rag that the person had over my face. After a few minutes of struggling with the rag over my face, I couldn't move, and it was hard to think. But I remained conscious as my kidnapper, who appeared to be a woman in black wearing a plastic dust mask, gagged and tied me up. She then dumped me into the trunk of a car and drove, my bones knocking together at the joints the whole time. I tried to take note of left and right turns, but there were too many to keep track of. The drive seemed to last for hours, and eventually I passed out from the intense humid heat within the small trunk. Eventually, I found myself being woken up by my kidnapper on the road in the middle of the swamp. Presumably this one. She dragged me out of my trunk, stood me up, and cut my ties and gag. I tried to run, but in my disoriented state, I didn't make it very far before I slipped on the slick mud. The masked woman caught up with me and held me down, laughing maniacally as I tried to push her off. She then jumped abruptly off of me, and again I tried to run. But after a few moments, she caught me by the shoulder, whipped me around, and stabbed me repeatedly in the stomach laughing insanely the whole time. I collapsed from the pain, and the woman hit me over the head with a rock, knocking me out. Then, what I think was this morning, I woke up half-buried in mud in the middle of the swamp, eyes stinging from the bright morning sun glaring at me through a break in the overhead foliage. I dug myself out of the mud, muscles stiff, head pounding and abdomen throbbing. I lifted my shirt to see that the wounds from the knife had been somewhat clogged by the mud. However, they were still bleeding pretty heavily despite this. 
so I applied some more mud and started making my way through this bloated bog, surrounded by silence and an odd absence of any animal life. Exhausted and miserable, I now continue onward, hoping that by some slim chance I chose the right direction to walk in and can find my way out of this swamp before it kills me. The rain and pools of stagnant water won't allow the mud to dry, so I constantly have to stop and reapply more of this fat, grassy mud, becoming more entrenched by the emotions of my past with every glistening paint stroke. But I can't get the vision I had of my nephew out of my head. He was my all, my everything. And to think that I may have cut his life short, where he could have gotten better is too much for me to handle. I love my nephew like a mother would love her own son. And that was taken from me by some stranger who wanted to take his money. And yet, my nephew just told me not to blame the man who shot him. But how can I not blame him? He took away the only family I had that I was still close to, and I can't ever get that back. Not only that, but I had to watch the person I loved most in the world, someone who by all natural rights should have outlived me, lay unresponsive in a coma. But now he says that he was there the whole time, listening and thinking and feeling but powerless to do anything about it. And now that means that I ended his life for no reason, that he was conscious the whole time, and that the doctors were wrong, and that I ultimately killed my nephew. If I can't forgive the man who shot him, then how could I possibly now forgive myself? But I must move on. Though I'm exhausted, dizzy, and in pain... I must keep going. I must get out of this nightmare of a swamp while I still can. Only then can I figure out what to do with my life now that I know what I've done. But I'm weak and thirsty. But I know I can't drink the water here. I'm feeling increasingly more dizzy and my breathing has become significantly more rapid within the last minute or two. I gently lift up my shirt to see that all the mud had been washed away, and that blood is pouring out like the Nile River. Vaguely, I know that I must cover it with mud to mend myself like Isis mended Osiris, that I must gather the mud like Sobek the crocodile god gathered Osiris' body. I bend down to scoop it, my head a circle of the moon around my body, but the world swirls around me, and I'm sent sprawling into the ground, face up to the cosmos beyond. I'm not sure where I am exactly, whether in Cairo or Giza, or even somewhere else, but I do know that the seasonal monsoon seems to be spinning around me, and that the heavy water stings my face. I close my eyes to the world to wait for the season to end for whatever comes next. Auntie, is that you?